Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy our teaching time with our special guest speaker. I was thinking about that, and that's such the truth of the gospel, isn't it? Our hope is that we know that our Savior is coming back. He didn't just leave us here and commission us to do a work, but he's coming back to reign and to rule and to, to, to establish and to build his, well, we're going to build his kingdom, but he's coming back to rule it. And that's our hope. That Jesus Christ is coming back. Wouldn't it be a horrible thing to be a believer in a Savior who doesn't return, a king who doesn't come and rule or reign? And I was just, I was taken back and they were back by that, and there was a heaviness in my heart. And I just said, God, you know, like, what does that mean to me that you're coming back? What does that mean to my heart? You know, does it excite me? Does it move me? And then I thought about the videos, especially. The first guy, I guess the real tall guy, is his name Brian or Brian? And Ben is his brother? Okay. And I was thinking, why would a young man go to a country to do that? He could be, he looks like he could be a pretty successful guy here in America. He probably could have done a lot of cool things. Why, why would you do that? And I know the answer, but that weight of that just hit me. It's because he cares about the loss. He cares about people coming to know Jesus Christ. He doesn't just care about building this earthly kingdom. He has a greater call, and I said, and so I'm thinking, our church is going to partner with him. I haven't talked to anyone at our church yet. I haven't (laughs) talked to the mission board or anything, but my heart just was moved by this young guy, and I realized my love, my passion for young people just continues to burn brighter and brighter so that they may know their call and their purpose in this place. So I was moved by that, and I was, I was getting emotional. I said, God, please, I have to preach. Please help me get through this. So I almost gave my, gave my notes to Spencer and said, I'm not going to make it. This is going to be an emotional shipwreck. But I'm going to try to do this. So when I was thinking about your mission's focus or mission week, I was thinking about, the 224 weekend. I had a million things I wanted to share, but my heart kind of ended up falling on Acts chapter 1, specifically verse 8, but we're going to read 1 through 11. God, may we be um, in this place. And as we read your word, God, may you move in our hearts and in our minds. May you call us to a deeper commitment and obedience to you, a deeper intimacy with you, Lord. We don't just do these things because it's fun or cool. We do these things because you have commanded us. So we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So if you read the book of Acts, you guys always know this, so I'm going to give you a little bit of background. We know that this is a continuation of the of Luke's gospel. Um, 
Luke wrote the gospel, and then he wrote the book of Acts. But in, in Luke's opening of Luke chapter 1, he said, Inasmuch as I've undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of, of the word have delivered them to us, it seems good to me, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may be certain concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke opens up the book of Luke and says, hey, Theophilus, more than likely a, a Roman official. It basically means most, most excellent. He said, I'm going to write you an orderly account of the things that Jesus Christ did. And then in Acts chapter 1, he continues to write a more orderly account. Now, not only what Jesus did, but what his apostles would do. Acts chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse 11. I meant verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after, and had, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with the water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know time or season that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and asked, Men of Galilee, Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I love that text. So Jesus, after his resurrection, took about 40 days to convince, I meant to teach the disciples about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And so when I really think about missions, I often think, like, what is our mission? What has God called us to do? We all know that he has called us to follow. And we, when you try to take the Bible and say, what's the one thing? Well, there's always so many things. So we have to decide what thing we're going to focus on. But we obviously know that Jesus has called those. First and foremost, he has called people to believe. John 20, 31 said, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and believe in you might have eternal life in his name. And then he's called us to follow. We see that in, in the disciples. Come follow me. He told Peter, I'll make you fishers of men. And then he calls us in the end of Matthew to make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. All authority has been given to me, so do this thing, and I'm always going to be with you. But at the very end, 
after the resurrection, after he came back to life, he took 40 days and he said, I'm going to teach you about the kingdom of God. That's what I want to talk to you about. And he says this thing, and I think this is what we miss, because this thing that he says means no one who decides to accept Jesus Christ has an out. It's this thing that changes everything. And he said, we will receive power, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. That's what you're going to do. That's a final call for you. I'm telling you all about the kingdom of God. I'm telling you everything. Yeah, I'm going to come back and roll it. But right now, what your job is, is to be my witness. To go everywhere, to everywhere you walk, every, every place you go, every person you encounter, you will witness, testify, tell people of me. And that's what I want to focus on. What does it mean to be involved in God's plan which is motivated and empowered by his power and operated through his people. What does it mean to be involved in God's plan, which is done by his power, which he operates through his people? That's what the mission is. So what is the plan? He left the disciples 40 days teaching, and he just said God took them up in the cloud, and then... They're looking up. Who wouldn't look up? You watch this guy just go up in a cloud. Human nature would be, wow, that's pretty awesome. So we're looking up. And then two guys said, why are you looking up? Well, because you just see what Jesus did? Why else would I look up? I've never really seen that before. But see, I think it's so important. If Angel didn't want them to focus on Jesus ascending into heaven, but what he called them to do. So he gave them a truth. This same Jesus who has left this way is coming back this way. So he wanted to take the focus off the ascension into heaven, back to the focus that Jesus just told him, you're going to be my witness. So he has a plan. He gave them a plan or what we want to call a mission. He didn't give them a whole lot of strategies. Let me tell you something about strategy and all that. I love strategies and I love all that. But what Jesus wants us to focus on is a mission. Everyone said, well, how am I supposed to do it? I don't know. Figure it out. How are you going to be a witness for Jesus Christ? There's not one strategy for everyone. But you need to figure it out. He said, here's the focus. You're going to be my witness. So anyone know what a witness is, by the way? What is a witness? I don't know. Okay, let's just bring it to our culture. What's a witness do in our culture? They testify. To what? What they saw. But they, if they bring in an eyewitness, they're not telling me, tell me what you think about this. They tell me, tell me what you actually saw. And so the hard thing theologically with this text is this. What can we attribute to the apostles? And then what then is in from the apostle given to us? That's the hardest thing you have to do with Scripture a lot of times. Because this is written to a group of guys that Christ is commissioning for a very special work. The question is, then do we also have some of those same responsibilities? I want to first talk about them, and then I want to take it to us. So he said, here's my plan. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to go and testify to everything you've seen. 
And if you read the text, the author is very clear that this starts after the resurrection, right? After he has come back, for 40 days after that, he taught them. So let me tell you first and foremost, a mission, being God's witness, isn't just so we can tell people that there's a God. It is to tell people that there's a God and that they need him, that they literally need a Savior. I hear this all the time. Well, I just think if people see my life, they're going to come to know Christ. That's not what he told the disciples. He said, I want you to go and testify to everything you've seen. What do you think they're thinking about right now? Guy who was dead, he's back alive. What do you think they're thinking about? I could imagine after the third or fourth time I'm seeing him, I'm saying, that guy was dead. I watched him. I seen him. I heard stories of what they did to him. I heard a story of the punishment, the 40 lashes. I've heard a story of the cross. I've seen it. Some of them with their very eyes. I've seen them put him in the grave. I watched him put the stone in front of him. I watched the Roman guards guard it. Now he's standing here talking to me. What do you think they're thinking about? They're thinking that this God, this man, who they thought was just a man, is truly the Son of God, is alive. The resurrection. The motivating power, focus behind everything they would do from this point on. If you really want to know Acts, Acts 1 through 11 lay out the whole, the, the, the blueprint for everything that would happen in the rest of the book of Acts. But it starts with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want you to go and be my witness. I want you to tell people about the plan. And the plan for them is that they may come to know a Savior, the one true God, Jesus Christ. And they would know and they would call him on his name, and they would believe, and they would be saved. That's the plan. I want you to testify to that. Tell them why, you, why you're following me. Tell them of what you've seen. Tell them of me overcoming death. I don't, there's a lot of cool things Jesus did, but the coolest thing he did, the most dynamic thing he did, was go into the grave and said, you are defeated, and you have lost your power. In grave, you have lost your sting. So the plan, the plan, he gave them this plan, and it's based upon this truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I have a question for you. I know we know the resurrection is important. But why does a lost world, why would they need to know the resurrection? Why? Why do they need it? Anyone? That's a literal question. Yeah. So they can know that, right? They know if he can raise from the dead, could he not surely do anything? If he, if he makes a statement, the resurrection is a validation that everything he says is true. It's a validation. I told you all these things. I don't know if you ever read the 
the, the story on the, the road to Emmaus, and he said he told them everything that Scripture was written about him. And he said he opened their eyes to that truth. He said, I told you that I must suffer, I must die, and that I would come back on the third day. And you know what? They didn't believe it. And then he came back. So he, he, he gave this message, and then he gave the validation of it. So he starts with this validation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he said, and this is what I want you to be witness of, the kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom of God? Think about it. What is it? Because I hear a lot of things, and I hear a lot of people talk about a whole lot of kingdom. Not very often is it the kingdom of God. I hear hours of conversation. I don't care what country you come from, you have country pride. I don't care where you're at. I hear people talk about so many things. Rarely do I hear Christians who are solely and completely focused on the kingdom of God. It seems like an odd thing. So what is the kingdom of God? It has many facets. One is the sovereign rule and reign of Jesus Christ. It, the angel said, the God, the God you saw, the man you saw, is saying he's coming back this very way. And if you don't believe in the sovereign reign of Jesus Christ, you need to read many other texts. And I don't have time to get into them. But you have to understand that there are a lot of proofs for it. What is the reign of Jesus Christ? Why did he go? Remember his prayer in John 17? Father, return to me the glory I had with you before I came here. Return to me my glory. If you read the end of Revelation, it said, Then I saw the city of God descend from heaven to come down, to be on earth, and God will be on earth with his people. I mean, you can read, but it talks about this ruling reign of Jesus Christ. I know we don't want to talk about it. I hear people talk about a whole lot of other rulers. But Jesus said, Why did I do all this? Because I'm coming back for my kingdom. There's a sovereign rule of Jesus Christ that has to happen. The kingdom of God is all about that sovereign reign. It's all about repentance and new birth, right? I don't know if you guys think about it, but when I really think about God's kingdom, how do I enter into the kingdom? I have to repent. I have to be born again. I have to accept Jesus Christ as Lord. If I go out and I'm a witness for Jesus Christ and I talk about all the cool things he did, but I never talk about how you entered into his kingdom, what a waste that is. Why would I do that? Why would I focus on that? I love the fact that eternity is going to be awesome. I love the fact that there's not going to be sickness or anything. But the most important thing I need to be a witness to is that there is a risen Savior who can save dead, lost, hopeless people. When I lose focus of that, when I just, I just want to be their friend, I don't want to offend them, I don't want to tell them that they need a Savior, I don't want them in the kingdom. I don't care how you put it, if we are unwilling to tell people that they need a Savior, that they are sinners, that they are lost, that they are un... What's the best word without offending people? <laughs> that they are dying and they're going straight to hell. That is their destiny. And people all the time, well, good God would never send people to hell. He doesn't have to. The Bible said they're already condemned. 
He doesn't send them there. He rescues them out of it. And when we sugarcoat that, when we say, oh, love wins, it'll all work out. It's not going to work out if they don't know Jesus. It's not going to work out if they haven't put their faith in Jesus Christ. It's not going to work out if they haven't called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not going to work out. They're going to die, and they're going to be eternally separated from a loving God. I, I know that doesn't sound cool. I know that doesn't sound fun. But he said, I made a way so you don't have to experience that. But that's your destiny without me. So it has this element of repentance, and it has this element of new birth. Well, how do I get in? I repent, and I get born again. I call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what we witness to. We witness that there is a Savior who died so we may live. There's a Savior who loves us enough to sacrifice his life for us so that you may have life. You don't have it without him. And then we witness to that there's a consummation of all that. He's coming back. He's coming back to rule his kingdom who will be filled with his people for his glory for eternity. That's the consummation. That's why we get so excited. But guys, are we really excited about bringing people into that kingdom? That's why when I saw that young man, my heart wept. I forgot what it's like to want that so bad that I would move to another country. See, we champion those people, and we should. But how many lost people are all around you? I mean, that video was just a testimony of the lostness of people around me. I don't need to learn a new language to know that people are dying and going to hell. And they're my neighbors. And they're my coworkers. And they're people I don't like. You know, there's a lot of people in this world I truly don't like. There are. But I tell you one thing. If I'm truly going to build a kingdom of God, my heart has to change that I may love them enough to want them saved. So we witness to the process, the plan that God has. It's based on a sure foundation. It gives clear directions of how to get there. And it gives us an absolute, complete description of the consummation of it. That's a plan. Based in his power, I love. It said, and you'll go to Jerusalem, you'll wait for the power of God or the Holy Spirit. Hey, let me give you a sidebar here, though, real quick. The Holy Spirit is not just power. I know we think God's power is the Holy Spirit. That's not true. The Holy Spirit is God. But in this case in Acts 8, the word is actually didymus. It means the inherent power to actually accomplish the task by which God has sent you forth to do. So he said he gave the apostle this inherent ability to do what he called them to do. What did he call them to do? I want to just read this, and I think this sums it up so much better than I could. The disciple needed some serious encouragement. In a few minutes, the Lord would leave, and they would have to go back to the city that was famous for killing prophets. 
What final word would Jesus leave them with? This is not a time for mission strategy, pep talk, or reaching. It's not a time of mission strategy or pep talk about reaching Jerusalem, about Samaria. It's a time of the most audacious, short-term, long-term prediction we ever heard. I'm going to give you the power to actually go and take the gospel and change the world. I'm going to give you that ability to do that which I called you to do. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit who will bring within the didymous power of God to accomplish that which you are not able to do without him. So he's saying, I'm going to give you a power to do that which I called you to do because without it, you can't do it. So here's, the, here's, the, here's what we have to take away. You can't do this unless you are constantly and completely and always dependent and turning to the Holy Spirit. Why do you think we have a hard time going and talking to our friends about salvation? Because we're fearful. Because we, we, we don't want to offend them. The Holy Spirit doesn't care about offending them. The Holy Spirit isn't fearful of anyone or anything. The Holy Spirit is God in you to do that which you cannot do, to overcome your own fears, to overcome the world, to overcome these philosophies and these teachings in the world to say, I don't care what they say, I don't care what they do, this is truth, and you need to know Jesus Christ. It's only the Holy Spirit who will empower you to have the boldness to do it. This is what he was telling his disciples. Wait for the Holy Spirit so you can do it. Because if you try to do it without the Holy Spirit, you will fail. You're not going to make it. How many of us are constantly going out into the world without praying and asking the Holy Spirit, God, give us the courage, give us the ability, give us the boldness to do the mission of being your witness today? When's the last time you prayed that? Do you want to be his witness? Do you think you can do it without him? I know a whole lot of people, and there's times when I think I can do it, and it fails every time. When's the last time you said, God, I know there's a lost person I'm going to encounter today. I know it. I know you're going to open up an opportunity. But without you, I won't see it. Without you, I won't have the boldness to go for it. Why are I love this, too, and I'm, I love this, too, right? I know I'm walking around. I'm sorry, camera guy, but I love this, right? Here's the reality. Our churches grow because people leave churches to come to other churches. When is the last time in America we see our explosion of growth in the church because God's witnesses went out into the, into the world, shared the gospel, and people got saved? Do you know that the book of Acts? That's what happened. People took the gospel to a lost world. People got saved, and they came, and they built the church. When's the last time that happened? We have become so content to a lie. Oh, let's build a church. Oh, you don't like your church? Come to ours. What is that? That's not even biblical. It's a bad, bad way to build anything. It's not God-honoring, God-pleasing. It's a horrible model. And we ought to fight against it. If you guys aren't out there telling your lost friends about Jesus Christ and we just buy, hey, I got, we got a lot of people. We got 400 people coming to our church. How did they come? Well, they left their other church. That's not something they cheer about. It's not. It's not honoring to a God who's given us a power to take light into darkness 
to turn people from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God, from kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That's not honoring, and it's not right. And we ought to get up and say, God, who do you want me to share the gospel with? And if we're too busy, if we have way too many things on our calendar, then we're not about the kingdom of God. We may be about the kingdom of man, but it's not the kingdom of God, and we ought to stop it. It's not right. And I know some of you guys don't like that. I don't like it either because I'm the biggest sometime corporate. I know we have a church in Ohio and we're growing like crazy. And I bet less than 0.1% of our growth is because people are being saved. And everyone said, what are you guys doing? How come you guys are growing so much? Because we bought into the lie of American Christianity. And we care much more about our numbers than we care about the glory of God. And we ought to stop. Lost people need a Savior, and we need to not be content that people come to our church because they left another church. That's wrong. We need to get on our knees and say, Holy Spirit, do in us what you did in our process. Change us. It's by his power. The Holy Spirit is the same today as he was yesterday and will be forevermore. And his goal is to work in us to take the gospel of Jesus Christ so people may be saved. Not so we may build a church of church hoppers. Lastly, it's through his people. I don't know why God left it up to us. But he said, you will be my witnesses. God loves to give us our identity or our call we do not deserve. Why? Because we're his. And he says, I'm going to empower you because I love you to do that work. That only really God can do. So I'm going to enjoy you so you can do it. That's what I think of you. The Great Commission. This is actually the Great Commission of the Bible. It's, again, Acts 6. I meant 1, 6 through 8. I want to read it one more time. We're going to end with these things. But I want you to hear this one more time. So when they had come together, they asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? No. This isn't about Israel. This isn't about America. This isn't about China or Russia or any other country you want to make it about. This isn't about UPCC or the branch church or off the wall or any other thing you want to make it about. That's not what I'm going to restore. No, I'm not going to do that. He said to them, it's not for you to know the time or season the Father is fixed by his own. One day, God will restore some kingdom. I think the kingdom of Israel will be one of them. But he'll rule it. But that's not what this witnessing is about. It's not to restore an earthly kingdom. Here's what he says. And when he said these things, he looked, and they were looking. No, I'm sorry. But you will receive power, Didymus, from the Holy Spirit, and you'll be my witnesses. This is about a spiritual kingdom. Right now, we're not going to see the physical reality of the kingdom of God until his return. He said, what I want you to understand, that your call is a transformational call to change people's hearts, to cause people to turn to me, 
That's the call, and I'm putting it on you. I'm giving you the identity of my witnesses so you can do for me what I want you to do. Take the gospel of Jesus Christ, some people may be saved. That's the call, and I'm going to use my people to do it. That's all you have to worry about. You don't have to worry about when I'm going to restore Israel or when I'm going to make, I better not say it, America great again. I said it. <laughs> I'm glad we want America to be great again, but do we want the kingdom of God to be full? Do we want the kingdom of God to be great? Do you want the kingdom of God to be filled with transformational people who so believe in Jesus Christ that they can't contain it, that they take that to everywhere they go? Do you want people sitting around at the barbecue in your backyard talking about America, or do you want them talking about Jesus? Do you want your kids talking about education, or do you want them talking about Jesus? What do we want? Do we want the kingdom of God, which is a spiritually focused, intimate relationship with the kingdom, the king of all kings, the Lord of lords, or do you want people talking about temporal things? That's what they said. Oh, you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel. Don't worry about that. All I want you to worry about is being my people and taking my gospel so that people may be saved, so that we can talk about me all the time, so that they will know me, so they'll go and share that with other people. Is that what you want? Think about parents. Is that what you want for your kids? What do you talk to your kids about, Jesus or education or money? What's your focus? What's your focus in this church? God says, I'm going to build my church, right? What's the church? It's his people doing what he calls them to do, loving one another, encouraging one another, giving to one another, and then taking the gospel out to a lost world and saying, hey, you want to be part of this kingdom? You want to be part of something that's so much better, so much greater? I know I should be done, so I'm going to give you some takeaways. Here they are. Use the tools that God has given you to accomplish the task that he has put before you. Use the tools that God has given you to accomplish the task that he has put before you. That means get really acquainted with the Holy Spirit. Really acquainted. Pray much. Get on your knees. Ask him for guidance every single day. How many of you guys believe that the Holy Spirit has a plan for you every single day? Every single day. When's the last time you say, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to encounter? Who do you want me to pray for? Who do you want me to give my money to? Who do you want me to have come live with me? Who do you want me to impact for your kingdom? Whether it be brother that knows you, brother or sister that knows you, or someone outside who does not. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do today? Then go out and be the witness God has called you to do. Always Every opportunity you get, talk about Jesus. With lost people, tell them the gospel, even if it's hard. If it's your best friend and he doesn't say, and you say, they're not going to be my friends if I tell them that they're going to die and go to hell. Say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to tell them anyway. Because I'm not responsible for the outcome, only responsible for obedience. So I'm telling them about you. I'm telling them about Jesus Christ. And then when all you do all that and sit back and enjoy the view as God moves in such a mighty way that people come to know him and churches explode because lost people finally, finally have a reason to live again and save people finally have a purpose that's greater than themselves. 
We have to do better, guys. So I'm going to ask for a personal thing. I've failed in some of these things. I've bought into the Western civilization mindset. Our church has grown, our ministry has grown, and I can really sit back and say, man, I'm awesome. And we all know that's not true. But I'm my own worst self-evaluator. So here's my request for you. That God would take everything if I would not. Honestly, if I don't get this right. If I'm not about building his kingdom, I'm about building my name or any other name outside of Jesus, that he would take it all. That's a bold prayer, but it's my earnest request. This isn't about us. And if we make it about us, we make a mockery of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be stripped of all of that. We need to get our eyes back on Jesus. And we need to do what we're called to do, be his witnesses for his glory. He might benefit out of it, but it's for his glory. And his glory is his name being proclaimed and elevated. And people either say yes or no, but he'll be glorified anyway. But we can't be afraid of that. Can I pray for us? God, you're good. God, how we can make a mockery of what you've called us to do. And I, I sincerely ask for forgiveness for that, Lord. When I've done it, and I don't know how many times I have, but you do. When I've made it about me, made it about off the wall, made it about the branch church. God, how does that happen? I do not know. There's a deceitfulness in me that you need to root out. So would you create in me, would you create in us a clean heart, God? Would you bring us back to the simple truths of the gospel? We are to be your witness. And then, God, would we go and we would do it through your power, led by the Holy Spirit, built upon the foundation of truth of the resurrection. Would we be people who make disciples, who make disciples? And would we all be content with being your witness every opportunity we have? So that you, God, may do the great work of saving people and transforming us. So that on that day when you come back, your kingdom will be excited and ready to walk in their king. We'll give you all the glory. We'll give you all the praise. Because you alone deserve it. In Jesus' name.